In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was the Word with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. All right. Well, good morning once again and welcome in. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to say uh, hello. And I'm so glad that you're here with us at uh, FBC Online. And just a brief update, as you may have seen and heard, there's been a lot of conversations uh, recently about churches and in-person services moving indoors with that as a possibility for us. And just wanted you to know that our staff and board are having a number of conversations right now about that, putting a plan together. And so uh, you should be hearing from us soon about what that's going to look like going forward. Again, right now we have an outdoor service every Sunday available that we've really enjoyed, but we're talking about maybe that next step of coming indoors. I know we've heard from Pastor Lee about kids ministry coming back, so we're hoping that some normalcy is returning here. Here on the horizon. Uh, with that, I want to just invite you to open up with me to the book of John chapter 1, where we are starting this new sermon series today that we've called Come and See, uh, as a walk through the gospel of John. And hey, at FBC, we believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe that the Bible is God's Word, and so we want to preach the scriptures, we want to uh, come to the word, believing that God has spoken, God has made himself known. And so for the people of God, the, the word of God has always had a central place in times of worship uh, throughout history, that the word would be read, that the word would be taught. And so we just at FBC want to let the word of God speak. And so we're going to be jumping through the gospel are walking through the Gospel of John. And often here you'll notice that we'll preach through books of the Bible. And there's a number of reasons for that. But one of the reasons we do that, that I hope you'll experience as we go here, is that we believe that it helps us learn to read the Bible. It helps us learn how to read the Bible. So rather than you know jumping around to a number of different passages each week or uh, different passages from different books each week, that, that has its place. That's not a bad thing, but it can be really helpful to just week after week be in the same book because then we learn together, oh, here's how the flow of thought works. Here's what the author is doing. Here's how this passage connects to the following passage and to the following passage. It helps us learn what to look for and learn to understand the context. And so it's my hope that, that week after week here as we're walking through John's gospel, we'd uh, learn together uh, how the book flows, what to look for, and that God's word would really become accessible or would be uh, experienced as accessible for you, that you wouldn't walk away saying, how, how in the world did the pastor, you know, connect those dots and bring all those passages together? And that was crazy. Uh, but instead, you'd be able to look back at the text that we're preaching and say, oh, yeah, here's, here's what the author is saying. And here's how this fits together. And that makes sense. So uh, in light of that, as we get ready to embark on this journey in the Gospel of John, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your, for your word. Thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you for this 
revelation, God. You've shown us who you are. And so we pray that as we as a church family walk through the gospel of John together, you would uh, show us who you are, help us see you, Jesus, and respond to you uh, appropriately. We love you and we give you this time. We come with humble hearts and open hands. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last year, Amber and I watched the mini-series on Netflix called Waco. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It was pretty wild. It tells the story of this conflict between law enforcement and this fringe uh, religious group in Texas, a group known as the Branch Davidians. They were a group that lived in this isolated commune outside of Waco, Texas, and they were devoted to this leader, David Koresh. The climax of the story uh, came in this this deadly conflict with uh, gunfire as law enforcement had reason to believe that this group was stockpiling weapons and potential child abuse taking place, and so they had to invade the compound and all kinds of conflict ensued. Uh, But what stood out to me was not that siege itself, but the buildup to it and the background of everything going on there at their commune. Here we had this religious group. Uh, Many of these people uprooted their lives to move to this compound in Texas. They had to commit this allegiance to David Koresh, who they believed to be their spiritual leader. He he claimed to have ties to King David from the Old Testament. Uh, Koresh took multiple wives, and he believed that their children would become this new generation of world leaders. And he believed he had this special, special message from God, this special revelation to share with the world. And there's all kinds of dysfunction and unhealthy stuff going on there. Uh, and it's wild because I'm watching this and just thinking, this is, this is crazy. Like, why would these families move there? Why would these multiple women marry this guy? Why would all these people uh, join in on this? How in the world did they buy into this? It seems so, so obvious from the outside. There's so much wrong with this picture. What in the world were they thinking? And then I thought, oh no, that, that's probably the same line of questions that people wonder about Christians. Those are some of the same questions that people ask probably about us or about our church. Those Christians, they are so crazy. How, where in the world do they, uh, why in the world do they live the way that they do? And maybe some of you listening into this are like, yeah, yeah, basically, I'm, I'm wondering that. Um, that's exactly what I've been thinking. You guys are crazy. I don't know, but they say you're, you're crazy because you're, you're committing your whole life to this, this rabbi from the first century. He claimed to be the savior of the world. He claimed to be the, the king of the world. This, this Jewish rabbi from the first century claiming to be this long-awaited Messiah, this ultimate revelation of the one true God. He alone could show us what God was truly like and what God has for us. And he alone's worthy of our complete devotion, the full devotion of our hearts and lives. I mean, where do people get this stuff? How in the world do people buy into this? Maybe that's what people wonder about us. And so I got to thinking, well, how would we explain this? Why is it appropriate and true and right to say these things about Jesus and crazy and not appropriate at all to say similar things about David Koresh in Waco, Texas in 1993. 
See, we've called this study of the Gospel of John, Come and See. Because that really gets at the heart of what the book is about. John, uh, the author, writes to show us, here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus has done. Here's why we should believe that he is who he says he is. And so throughout the book of John, we're going to look at the claims of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus, all in hopes that we would see him clearly and that we would walk away believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he stands alone, that there truly is no one like him. And so I hope that this study will be helpful. If you're new here or you're on the fence about uh, this whole Jesus thing, maybe you've never explored the words of Jesus for yourself. This is a great chance to jump in and walk through the gospel with us. Uh, but if you've been following Jesus for some time, uh, this is for you as well. Because let's remember, the same gospel that saves the lost edifies the found. Right? The same gospel uh, is what we need as well as followers of Jesus to be reminded, to be edified, to be built up, to be encouraged uh, time and time again by who Jesus is and what he has done. And so, with that, uh, let's jump in to the text. John chapter 1, verse 1. It begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, then you'll know that the book of John is one of four main accounts of the life of Jesus. So along with Matthew and Mark and Luke, John uh, is referred to as a gospel, meaning the good news. This is the good news about Jesus. Uh, John was the latest gospel written, likely sometime in the last decade or two of the first century. And although John's name isn't included uh, in the gospel itself, the internal evidence and the external evidence, the, the consistent testimony of the early church, uh, shares that John, the apostle, is the author of uh, one of the twelve disciples, uh, one of those on the inner circle, in the inner circle with Jesus. And so he certainly uh, is a reliable guide to show us who Jesus is and what he has done. And these opening verses, the prologue to the Gospel of John that we see really in verses 1 through 18, has, has some of the, the highest heights in all of Scripture. I mean, it's hard to overemphasize how profound and foundational these verses are for our faith. I mean, look at, at verse 1. Look at where John begins, how John begins this gospel. Not, not with Jesus coming on the scene right away and teaching or working miracles, but he, he looks at eternity past. Verse 1, he says, In the beginning. So, right away... This echoes another opening line from a book of the Bible. Actually, the very first words of the whole Bible, of all of Scripture. On the first page of the first book of the Bible, back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1 begins by saying, In the beginning. And so, the author John here is already connecting for us the story of Jesus with uh, the bigger story of Scripture 
and what God is doing in eternity, past, and future. So it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so you notice here right away some big claims are being made by John. He writes of the Word, or in Greek it's the logos, the Word of God. And this has some, some rich Old Testament meaning, right? God's Word was thought to be a, a revelation of who He is. It speaks of God's uh, powerful self-expression. The Word of God has the power to create and save and carries the presence of God. And so this is how John decides to speak of Jesus, the Son of God, the, the Logos here. He personifies this, this rich concept of the Word of God from the Old Testament. It shows us that this uh, Jesus is the ultimate expression of who God is. And so when the text speaks of the Logos or the Word, we'll see clearly that it's pointing us to Jesus, the Son of God. And so what are some things we learn about Jesus right away from this text? Well, first, verse 1, He was in the beginning. In the beginning, it says, was the Word. And so the Son of God was not some later creation of the Father, but from eternity past has always existed along with God the Father. And so like God the Father, uh, the Son of God simply was. He was in the beginning. Verse 1 continues, uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that same concept is repeated, you see, in verse 2. And so notice here, there's some foundational truths of the doctrine of the Trinity. That the Word, the Son of God, was, was with or in relationship with God the Father. It speaks of this, this, this intimate, uh, personal relationship, almost as if uh, the Father and the Son are facing one another in eternity past, looking at one another, moving towards one another. And yet, at the same time, the Father and the Son are distinguishable, right? The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. And so the Word was in the beginning, but we're not just talking about God the Father. We're talking about uh, this being who is in relationship with God the Father. The Word was with God. And then stated quite clearly, the verse continues, and the Word was God. In fact, uh, in the Greek, the word order is flipped here for emphasis. So it actually more rigidly reads, and God was the word. But simply putting the emphasis on the word theos, on the word God, it comes first saying this is the main point, that the word was God. So Jesus did not at some point later on become God or, or make himself God. He always was, always has been God. And so right out of the gate, we see in, in the Gospel of John these, this major theme, and it's the identity of Jesus. Like, that's how we, we come out of the gate, what we're talking about right away. Who is this Jesus? And right away in verse 1, these big claims John is making. Jesus is fully God, the exact same nature as the Father in the beginning. He was God, but not the Father, right? Distinguishable from the Father in relationship with the Father. And so as we read through the book of John, we have to remember these foundational claims that the, the work and the words of Jesus that we're going to read about and see going forward are the work and the words of God himself.
And this is just reinforced in the following verses as the passage goes on. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So verse 3, through him, through the word Jesus, all things were made. It's speaking of creation. And so again, think back with me to also Genesis chapter 1 in the Old Testament. Well, who created all things? God. That, that's what God does. So it's here saying that Jesus, the Son of God, was, was active with God the Father in creation. Jesus is creator of the most massive star and expansive galaxy and the unseen uh, atoms and molecules of our world. Jesus is creator God. And it says, further, in him was life and light. Again, who gives life and has life? God. Jesus. Again, over and over again, this text is driving home. Jesus is God himself. And then Jesus is the light shining in the darkness, verse 5 says. And that picture of light is really helpful and helps us understand something about God. Because light is meant to be seen, right? Light shines, light illuminates. And so God is not hiding, right? God wants to be known. And the, the same insight comes from verse 1, where it identifies Jesus as the Logos, as the Word of God that we just spoke about. This speaks of what? Of revelation of speech of of communication of being made known and so the simple truth here that we see is that god's not hiding god's not uh sitting back uh, hoping that we kind of put the pieces together on our own no god is moving towards us he's speaking he's shining like light into our dark world he's inviting us uh, to see him and and draw near and so, right out of the gate in the Gospel of John, we are confronted with these lofty and incredible claims about the person of Jesus Christ. And it's because of these verses and what is ahead in the Gospel of John, as, as these claims are backed up by all that Jesus does and, and says, that as Christians, we can say, a following Jesus is infinitely different than following David Koresh or any other uh, false messiah, right? Following Jesus is nothing like living in this commune in Waco, Texas in 1993 because Jesus is who he claims to be. Jesus is not some random uh, self-appointed spiritual leader. Jesus is the living and true and only creator God who came to us. These are big claims that we all will have to uh, make the choice of what we're going to do with them. We can read John 1 and hear this about Jesus. We have to decide, will we believe it or not? I had a conversation with a neighbor just a few weeks ago who said a number of things about Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus seemed like a great teacher. Wish more people would, would follow his teachings about love and so on. But then they kind of left it at that. And that's, I think, where many of us want to leave Jesus today. Right? Great teacher. Amazing influencer. I mean, truly one of the many great spiritual leaders our world has known. He'd benefit your life if you want to follow him and his teachings, but he's not, you know, necessary for everybody. 
You know, if it works for you, great, but let's not get carried away here. But, but I've shared this quote before, and I think it's worth repeating because it really, it really gets at the heart of that response. As C.S. Lewis, this famous Christian author, uh, wrote this. He said, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Right? Like if your neighbor started saying, hey, I'm the king, uh, worship me, you'd be like, you're not a great moral teacher. So C.S. Lewis goes on, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or, or he's a madman or something worse. So you, you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any, any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so friends, real talk here. Let's see what he's saying. He's saying Jesus and uh, the New Testament doesn't leave really any gray area for us, right? If we, if we actually look at what Jesus said, and if we actually look at uh, the claims of Jesus and the claims of the New Testament about Jesus, like John 1 that we've just read, we either have to conclude that these are true statements, that Jesus does deserve the, the full commitment and devotion of my heart and of my life, or the New Testament has tragically misled millions and millions and millions and on uh, of people. There's, there's no gray area. There's no room. If we actually look at what Jesus said, there's no option for us to say, well, like, yeah, take it or leave it. Great teacher, nice add-on. Either he was who he said he was, or he's tragically misleading millions. And then, friends, for those of us, let's say you are here this morning and you're a Christian. You said, I've made this decision to follow Jesus. I've put my trust in him. We then have to allow Jesus to have authority in our lives. Right? To, to bow our knee, to, to submit to him again and again, to decide each day, okay, Lord, God, my life, my time, uh, my, my mind, my thoughts, how I view the world, how I view various issues, it's all on the table. And I'm inviting you, Jesus, to come and have your way, come and align my will and my heart with, with yours. Right? And just a warning, whoever you are, Wherever you are, there's going to be tension as that process unfolds. There are going to be parts of your life. There are going to be ways that you think that Jesus is going to say, that's got to change. Uh, that's, that's not right. That's not in line with my heart. That's not in line with my word. So it needs, it needs to change. Jesus is going to tell us, hey, how you're handling your money needs to change. How you're uh, treating people needs to change how, how you view relationships and love and sexuality perhaps is going to, to need to change, to be in line with, with my word. And so if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is God himself, eternal creator God as John 1 shows him to be, and we're inviting him to be Lord of our life, then it all has to be on the table. Text continues in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
So into this beautiful, poetic opening to the Gospel of John, we have kind of woven in here these sections about John the Baptist. It talks about, verse 6, a man named John, not meaning uh, John the Apostle, the author of the Gospel, but John the Baptist, who was sent from God, it says, as a witness to testify concerning the light. Actually, we spoke about this a little bit last week, how John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus, had a ministry of preparation where he would go and he would call people to repentance. He would announce uh, the coming Messiah saying, get ready. He's near. Prepare your heart for this. And the text makes clear in verse 8 that John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the Messiah. He was not the Christ. He was not Jesus, but he was the one pointing to Jesus. And we'll see much of John the Baptist in the weeks ahead. We'll see later that he compares himself to uh, the friend of the groom at a wedding. Saying, hey, I'm not the groom. It's the groom's big day. I'm just the friend of the groom. I'm celebrating the groom. I'm pointing people to him. And to look closely at verse 7, it tells us something significantly about the role of John the Baptist. It says, he came to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. And so the ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare people's hearts and the hope is that they would come to believe in Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so here in these opening verses, again, we're introduced to another a main theme that we're going to see running throughout the gospel, and that is the theme of faith, or believing in Jesus. In fact, you could say that this maybe is the central uh, driving concern of the whole book, is will we put our faith in Jesus? Or we, could, we could look uh, fast forward to almost the very end of the gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 30, and this is reinforced. Listen to what it says. Uh, Jesus kind of in summary here, performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, uh, which are not recorded in this book. But these, so what I've included in this book, uh, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Isn't that clear? Verse, verse 31, a, a, a purpose statement for the whole book He's telling us why he wrote the book. I wrote this. I recorded all this. The miracles, the signs, the, the resurrection, the, uh, the, the cross and the resurrection. Verse 31. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. And then here in, in chapter 1, at the beginning of the gospel, we see the work of John the Baptist. And why did he come? That, that all might believe in Jesus. And so at the beginning of the book and at the end, we're saying it's all about putting our faith in him. That's what this whole book is about. And so I don't think we can really overestimate the importance or the centrality of faith in the Christian life. Not just faith in general, faith in Jesus. Or we think of the, the famous passage, passage in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through Faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So Ephesians 2.8 says we are saved by what? By grace through faith. Okay, so salvation is a gift of God's grace accomplished for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
That's not our own doing. We don't earn it. It's a gift given to us. But how do we take hold of it? It says through faith. So faith, trust, belief is how we, how we respond. How we say to God, God, I, I will trust you. God, I, I believe you are who you say you are. And so this is more than just intellectual assent to a set of doctrine or beliefs. I mean, it is that. But then it gets lived out in our lives. We demonstrate our faith by how we live. We demonstrate our trust in God by living his way. And so simply, there's no neutral ground here, right? Jesus calls us to believe in him, to bow our knee to him as as Savior and Lord. And then we're called to, to submit our lives to his word and his ways because he is God himself. He is the Messiah. We're to, to repent where we're living out of line with that reality. But I do want you to see clearly here, friends, the, the result of such faith and, and believing in Jesus, right? When we read uh, from chapter 20, John 20, verse 31, it says, you're called to believe, and, and it says that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, this book is written so that you may believe, and that by believing, when you believe, you may have life in his name. And so notice we're not just talking about a power play, about uh, just, just submission to God's authority. Get in line because God is God and you are not. I mean, those are true statements. Okay, those, those are true. And, and some of us, let's be honest, some of us need to hear that. Uh, but, but more than that, right? the gospel is much bigger than that. More than that, there's this, this invitation uh, to have life in his name. That Jesus came not to, to, to rob you of life, to rob you of, of joy, but to give it to you abundantly. Right? And so as we bow the knee to Jesus, as we submit our lives, as we uh, die to ourselves and go the way of Christ and embrace the gospel, that's where we truly find joy and life. And we can live life how it was intended to be lived. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. I want to forgive you of all your sin. I want you to know me intimately. I want to take take the weight and the burden and the guilt and the shame uh, off of your shoulders. I want to draw near to you. I want to lead you to streams of water, to good food. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I want to show you how to live. I want to show you how you can have true peace in your heart because of my presence in your life. I want to guide you both now and forever. I want to give you eternal life that no one will snatch you out of my hand. I will work all things for good in your life for those who trust me. So friends, if you're weary, if if you're searching the invitation of the gospel of John is come, come and see. Look at Jesus today in John 1 and in in the weeks and months ahead. We're going to see that Jesus stands alone. Only he can provide. Only he is worth our devotion. This puts so beautifully in the words of a new song that we're going to sing soon. It's called Jesus Only Jesus. It says this, Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us? from our sins. He is 
our hope, our righteousness, Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace, Jesus, only Jesus. Holy, King, Almighty, Lord, saints and angels all adore. I join with them and bow before Jesus, only Jesus. Who can command the highest praise? Who has the name above all names? You stand alone, I stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. Friends, we have an opportunity to celebrate our King uh, Jesus together by taking communion. And so I hope that wherever you are, you have uh, elements ready, one representing the bread, one representing the cup. Communion is a chance for Christians throughout the centuries to, to come together and to remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us. We remember uh, his broken body on the cross, his shed blood for us to bring us forgiveness. He tells us to do this in remembrance of him so that when we take these elements, we tangibly remember what he has done for us and that we belong to him. So I'm gonna say a short prayer and then we'll, we'll take the elements. Lord Jesus, we look to you together this morning and uh, using John 1 as our guide, we, we look to you and we see that you are the eternal creator God, that Jesus, you uh, are the light of the world, in you is life. And Jesus, you invite us to believe in you and to trust in you, that you are who you say you are. You are the only one who can save and heal, the only one who can redeem. You are the one that we need. And so Jesus, we remember together your work on the cross, your broken body, your shed blood, that we might be forgiven, saved, and find life. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen.